Welcome back to our latest episode of High School Transcript. This is your host, Rowan, joined here today by... Your co-host, Brayden, joined here with Mr. Smith, a 15-year teacher here at Lakeside. He's been here from the beginning with some incredible stories. We hope you guys enjoy giving it a listen. And then, more and then they started making plastic out of the oil. And so when the planet shakes us all off like a bunch of fleas, the only thing that's going to be left is plastic. And Betty White. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty, pretty good ad lib right there. She ain't going anywhere. That was good. That was good. You played sports in high school? Yeah, so uh, when I w- was growing up in uh, Central California, I uh, really liked baseball a lot. Uh, I played baseball in high school and um, also tried to participate in basketball and I was not big enough to play football so you know I kind of resorted to you know those more uh, hand skills foot skills kind of sports so baseball was an obvious choice for me Uh, then that morphed into golf and and I played golf uh, starting in high school all the way up till I'm I'm playing golf currently so you know, I like a lot of the, the individual type sports um, because I'm allowed to, you know, express my uh, my athletic prowess uh, on an individual basis. That's not uh, not necessarily true. I don't have a lot of athletic <laughs> prowess, <laughs> but uh, it's it's nice that you can uh, play a sport that you can kind of rely on your skills and like more skill based sports. And uh, I really like those because I. I feel like I have a certain talent with hand-eye coordination and things like that. So baseball baseball and golf are, are pretty obvious. Um, you know, basketball is actually pretty obvious too, but, uh, you know, I don't have the height necessarily to be ultra competitive in basketball. But, you know, I would rely on the, the dribbling skills and shooting skills and those type of things. So that's what I... Uh, kind of see myself as in terms of a a high school player. Did you have any other big interests in high school? Yeah, so uh, when I uh, first started high school, I uh, was hanging around with some musicians and uh, started playing uh, drums and percussion and other kinds of things. So when I was in high school, I uh, went to uh, uh, a youth group on Wednesday nights, we would uh, have a band that would play. And when I first started playing the drums for this youth group, it was it was kind of awkward, you know, because I was just learning how to play. And, you know, when, when you're not playing the right beat on the drums, it's, it's pretty obvious, you know. A guitar player or a piano player can get away with a lack of rhythm if they're playing solo. But if you're trying to play with uh, a drummer, and the drummer doesn't have the right rhythm or the right beat, you kind of stick out like a sore thumb. So there were many awkward moments where people would look at me like, what are you doing? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a creative rhythm. And, uh, you know, so the creativity turned into actually learning the skill of playing the drums, and, and I've been playing the drums ever since. In fact, uh, before the pandemic hit, I would play the the drums at church every Sunday morning and and it's been a a lifelong uh, skill that I've developed that I 
hope that other people appreciate. What kind of student were you overall in high school, would you say? So uh, it was funny. I, I, um, I was not the best student. I was, I was the type of student that would, uh, uh, I wouldn't have to necessarily study for tests. I wouldn't have to write a lot of notes uh, during class. Whatever I heard or whatever I read, I always remembered. And so uh, learning for me and uh, you know, academic performance was more of an auditory learning, learning style. And uh, that's, that type of style of learning, as I've come to discover as a teacher, very few students have that ability to remember and uh, recall uh, pretty much everything that they hear or what they read. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's more of a talent than it is a, a skill necessarily. Uh, so I was able to get away with that, you know, just to, you know, not study, not do my homework, but do well on tests. And that was okay for a while until I started hitting the really hard courses like, you know, Algebra 2 and uh, Chemistry and Physics. So my plan was I was going to play sports throughout high school and just get good enough grades to stay eligible with the plan that I was going to uh, go to either um, Fresno State, uh, which was just up the road from, from where I lived, or I, everybody had the dream of going to uh, UC Davis and, uh, you know, going to UC Davis and learn, learn about, you know, agriculture and horticulture and uh, winemaking and all the, the really cool things that you would do in the Central Valley, you know, that, uh, you know, you saw a lot of, I mean, seriously, there are people that are farmers in the Central Valley, and they are fantastically rich. You, you wouldn't think that, you know, when you're driving through the Central Valley, you, you more think about like the, the migrant farm workers and, and uh, you know, the, the actual farmers in the field. But the farm owners, the landowners are extremely wealthy. And uh, to have your own uh, land and, and participate in agriculture in the Central Valley is a really lucrative big deal. So UC Davis was, uh, was a, an idea to go to UC Davis and, and study something that would make me a living. But uh, then uh, uh, life kind of got in the way and, and uh, you know, I got <laughs> my senior year and I had a, a physics class and I had an algebra two class and my counselor told me, you know, you have enough credits to graduate from high school, you know, you probably shouldn't uh, necessarily take these kind of classes because these are the kind of classes that, that you know, college kids take. And if you want to go to college, you know, it's great that you want to take them, but you don't have to take them because you have enough credits to graduate. You don't have to necessarily do that. So I said, well, you know, I, I still kind of want to have the opportunity to go to college. And I bombed algebra 2. I bombed physics. In fact, uh, my physics class was the last class of the day for me. And, you know, <laughs> as a baseball player, you know, you want to get out and start shagging balls and throwing uh, warm-ups and, you know, 
running the, the field and kind of get a sense of how you're feeling that day right about 1 o'clock before a, before a 3 o'clock game. And so I would ditch my, my physics class to go to, to practice. And, you know, and, and the physics teacher didn't really say anything about it. He didn't contact my parents. And, and I just got a big fat F in that class. And, you know, I kind of understand why. Um, I was just kind of not necessarily sad, but more mystified that, you know, nobody told me, hey, you know, you probably should start going to class. And I just, I didn't. I, I went to baseball practice. We were very successful. Uh, won a couple CIF Central Section Championships at uh, Mount Whitney High School. Go Pioneers. And, uh, you know, so that was, uh, that was the reward, but it came at a cost. And the cost was losing out on an opportunity to go to to four-year university right after high school. So then what did your post-high school experience look like for you? So my post-high school experience, it was, again, it was uh, uh, an interesting story about how I got into journalism. So, uh, again, I was kind of filling up my schedule my senior year. And uh, we had back in the day, this, you guys can't do this now, but it used to be that you could take a class like journalism rather than taking English for your senior year. So I'm like, heck yeah, man. Especially when I heard that the journalism teacher, my favorite teacher ever, Mr. Simpson, he would uh, have us do zero, we would do zero period journalism. And so that means that we would have to show up at the school like at six o'clock in the morning and uh, he would bring donuts every day. So I'm like, you know, dude, I'm, I'm getting a, a zero period class for my journalism class. I, you know, I get donuts every day. And like, who would not want to do this, you know? Not, it sure beats having to write, you know, essays like the, uh, the, the rest of the, the senior losers who couldn't get out of that class. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of how I took it back, in, back when I was in high school. But uh, when I uh, got into the journalism class, um, I got some really good experience. I, I um, got the opportunity to cover the Fresno Open, which was a professional beach volleyball tournament. Uh, and I got to interview several volleyball Olympians, um, Karch Karai, uh, Sinjin Smith, uh, Randy Stokeless, I mean, some really big-time uh, professional volleyball players, and uh, did this wonderful uh, feature story about the, the Fresno Open coming to our sleepy little little valley. And so I, I took advantage of that. I sent uh, the articles to, to the local newspaper, the Visalia Times Delta, and they pretty much hired me right on the spot uh, to be uh, one of their sports contributors. So I um, worked my way up, and then I got the uh, the motorsports editor position. So I would every Friday night I would go to the little quarter mile dirt track in Visalia and watch, would watch the sprint cars, and they had different divisions of sprint cars and to participate in that and watch uh, watch some really 
incredible racing and some incredible skills on the racetrack and being able to interview you know big time racers and and these racers would on the weekends they would go to the local tracks and race uh, what was called the ASCA uh, the American uh, Sprint Car Association and uh, and then they would use that as a stepping stool to get into either NASCAR or into IndyCar and so I really got into into writing about motorsports and uh, then you know uh, moved down uh, here to the Temecula area and kind of worked my way up the food chain in terms of journalism and I worked my way all the way to uh, not only becoming the sports editor at the uh, now defunct Californian newspaper, but I also uh, was able to become the sports editor of five local weekly newspapers that were produced by the Press Enterprise at the time. So I was the sports editor for uh, the Rancho News, which was part of the, like I said, the Press Enterprise uh, family of newspapers. So it was the Rancho News, the Lake Elsinore Valley Tribune, the Sun City News, the Menifee Valley News, and the Corona News. So I said it was a, it was a good experience in, in terms of writing and and figuring out what I wanted to do with the, the you know with my post high school. What did you enjoy so much about journalism? So the thing that that's great about journalism is the fact that you're not the story, but you're part of the story. You get to see things unfold. You get to write about people's uh, grand experiences. You know, uh, a lot of times, especially covering sports, you know, I remember my uh, journalism professor at, uh, at the College of the Sequoia, she said something like, you know, there are only three stories in sports. Who won? Who lost? Who got fired? And so that was kind of a, you know, an interesting take. And I, and I thought about that. And I thought, well, is really sports just about those three things? Is, is there something more? And the more I kind of got into it, the more I started delving into it. Yeah, there, there's more to sports than who won, who lost, who got fired. Uh, it's a lot about discovering the, you know, the, the person who, you know, the, there's, there's, a part to every person or a part to every individual you know we're not just one thing uh like when i think about being a teacher you know uh am i a teacher yeah is it my my whole identity no uh and it's the same way with sports people you know um you know people who are involved in sports or professional sports they're more than just uh an athlete you know, there's a person there, too, that, that has a story to tell. So I really liked uh, telling other people's stories. I think that's, that's what uh, I primarily loved about journalism is, is telling stories because um, it's such a huge part of our, of our getting to know other people and, and getting to know and navigate this really difficult thing called life, you know, getting to know people's stories. I think it's hugely important. Do you have a favorite or most memorable journalism moment? Uh, I think to to for me my probably my most uh, important journalism moment 
Uh, actually, you know, it, it's interesting. I I think about the the Lake Elsinore storm when the Lake Elsinore for, storm first started, and I was uh, a beat writer for the Lake Elsinore storm their first couple years. And uh, you know, when they ended up winning the California League Championship, and I was able to watch that and and see that happen. Um, I think that's one of the the most important memories I have. Another really important memory uh, that I have in terms of what I saw, what I uh, was able to witness happen in this valley uh, was, uh, you know, several uh, football championships that were won. I was, uh, I covered the uh, Temesco Canyon football team when they won the, the CIF championship in the, in the uh, mid-90s. And they went to several uh, CIF championship games. I watched the Temecula Valley football team win, uh, win a CIF championship. I saw uh, the wrestling team at Temecula Valley go all the way to the state finals and win the state uh, finals. And it was like the first year that they won state finals. And they've gone on and, and set state records for the number of state wrestling titles that they that they won. So, you know, there's a lot of really, really good memories uh, about the local sports. Uh, the other thing that I was really excited about is when the Los Angeles Kings went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1993, and I was able to kind of cover that and, and watch that whole situation unfold. That was very exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, I would think that the most memorable moment I think you're probably going to laugh at me that, you know, it's, it's, it's a sentimental thing. But for Christmas, my wife uh, put together an album of all the columns that I ever wrote at, um, at the, uh, the Press Enterprise weekly papers. I would publish a weekly column. And she put together uh, like an album of all my columns, and I, <laughs> and it was beautiful. I I went back and and read a lot of those columns, and I was thinking, man, this is where I was when I was twenty three or twenty four years old. You know, it's it's, a, it's really interesting to look back at a snapshot of when you're, you know, like I said, twenty three, twenty four, and to see kind of what you're thinking about and and what you're writing about and. And it brings back those those nostalgic feelings, uh, and and seeing how much you've grown as a person since then. And you know, I I wrote a lot of stupid things, and and, <laughs> and I would laugh. You know, I was as I was reading what a 24 year old would say, I, I would laugh out loud, and my wife would come into the the office and she, "What are you you reading? Another one of your columns?" I'm, "Yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing that." Like. Uh, that that's really fun to get a snapshot of what you're thinking about when you're when you're young and dumb. If you could write um, a journalism piece on any moment in sports history, what would it be? Um, I think for me, uh, it probably would have been. I would have loved to have covered uh, when. Uh, Hank Aaron hit 715. Uh, you know, and, and I think that just comes to mind just because, you know, he passed away last week. And uh, that was such a huge moment. 
you know, we we can all think about you know Jackie Robinson breaking in with the with the Dodgers and kind of breaking the color barrier, but the fact that this uh, this man broke Babe Ruth's record, home run record, and he still holds today the 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 RBI record, runs batted in uh, record, and uh, you know, 40, 50 years later, no one's come close to those. Um, you know, you can you can make the argument. Well, you know, Barry Bonds has a home run record, uh, but uh, you know that that's uh, that's you know steeped in controversy. But when you think about uh, someone like Hank Aaron, I would have loved to have been around to to witness that and to cover that, because that that to me would be the number one moment in all of baseball history when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record. And uh, it would it would be I think it would be logical that if uh, you know the obviously Major League Baseball retired uh, the number forty six uh, for Jackie Robinson, but I think it would be really really awesome if uh, if Major League Baseball decided that they were going to retire number three in honor of of Babe Ruth and then number 44 in honor of Hank Aaron. I think that would be a really solid, solidifying moment uh, for social justice. I, I would say that that would be a huge uh, way that we, that people can come together and celebrate those two players. Yeah. Um, how did your career in journalism end you up here at Lakeside High School? <laughs> <laughs> the big question. Yeah, so... Um, Back to when I was uh, writing for um, uh, the Lake Elsinore Tribune, I would uh, cover all the the local high school football action, and uh, and I would uh, cover a lot of Temesco Canyons games. And uh, there was a board member; her name was Janine Martineau, and her husband was one of the assistant coaches at Temesco Canyon at the time. And uh, she would call the paper all the time to complain about how we're not covering Temesco Canyon. And I'm like, dude, I'm there every week. Like, I write about you guys every week. And then I wrote a kind of a, an interesting column. I, I made the statement that, you know, it's not me that's covering uh, the, the Temesco Canyon games. It's uh, my twin brother, Tom Arnold. And uh, <laughs> the next day when that article appeared, uh, I got a phone call from Jeannie Martineau. She wanted to come down to the office and, and have a talking with me. And what was really funny about that conversation is one of my coworkers at the paper, uh, her name's Jeannie Corral, and she was also a board member. So here I am, you know, working with one board member at a newspaper and then you have another board member come into the newspaper office to give me the riot act about uh, how I disrespected her in this column. And then <laughs> the other board member overhearing this conversation is just laughing to the point of tears. And then we, you all come to under, uh, an understanding that this whole fight is ridiculous and, and stupid. And then J Janine and I kind of buried the hatchet in terms of our animosity towards each other and then we became really good friends and then when uh, a teaching position came open at Temesco Canyon 
uh, Janine Martineau called me on the phone and she said, you know, there's a there's an opening at um, at Temesco Canyon to be, to become an English teacher, and I think they also want to start like a newspaper at the school. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, yeah. So I decided to apply for the position. I got the position, and then I started uh, writing uh, a a newsletter, a, a monthly newsletter for the principal, and kind of worked that uh, way up uh, to getting a student newspaper started, and um, and the, I guess the rest is history. So, what made you decide um, to come to Lakeside? That is, if it was your decision to come to Lakeside. Well, it was. <laughs> it was really. It, it was really funny. I I um, I actually had a, a pretty good gig at Temesco. I was part of a technology academy uh, where uh, I would uh, teach computer systems to students. Uh, I would um, get them certificated in uh, uh, Linux. Uh, I would get them certificated with uh, Sun Microsystems. I would get them certificated with Apple. I would get them certificated with Microsoft. So I had a pretty good gig. And um, then I heard that uh, Lakeside was going to open, and I was uh, presented with the idea of maybe considering moving to Lakeside. And I thought, well, you know, I got a, I got it pretty good uh, here at Temesco. Do I really need to consider opening a school? And then uh, some of my really good friends at at Temesco came up to me, um, like Miss Hendrickson was working there, uh, Mr. Van Bremen was working there, Mr. Tillery was working there, Miss Hendricks was working there, and they were all going, well, you know, we're thinking about going to Lakeside. And I'll never forget, some of the teachers there at Temesco were like, you don't want to go to Lakeside. That, that, that's going to be a, a terrible school. You know, it's a terrible place to want to go to. I'm like, how could it be terrible? Oh, you know, the, those people on that side, you know, the, seriously, they use that language. That like Those people on that side of the lake, man, you got to stay away from those people. And I'm like, eh, you know. Uh, and then I kind of, uh, you know, went around the community. I've known the community for, you know, since since 1991 when I moved here. I'm like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, that community. So, and then just to kind of spite them, I guess, I, I decided, well, you know, I'm going to show them that we're, we're a better community. So I decided to go over to Lakeside. So that's kind of what caused that to happen. Have you enjoyed your time so far? Oh, I hope. <laughs> I, I have, I've loved it. Uh, you know, I've, I've been here now. This is my, my 15th year at Lakeside. You know, I was, I was, um, you know, one of the first hires here at Lakeside, uh, and I've loved it ever since. The kid, the kids are are inspirational. Thank you. Uh, I tell I tell that to my students every every time I I you know can I I they're they're my heroes. When I used to teach zero period before the pandemic hit, I would say to the zero period kids, you know, geez, Louise. Uh, if I were you, I wouldn't wake up this early to see me. So you guys are kind of my inspiration. You're the reason why I'm, I'm here. And so, you know, I to me, uh, 
I really felt this way even back in 2005. I felt like I couldn't make as much difference at Temesco because those kids were pretty pretty much set. You know, whether or not I could have a, a an impact on their lives for the future, I didn't really necessarily know that I had that much of an impact. But since coming here to Lakeside, I can I can tell you countless stories of kids who have overcome horrible circumstances and have turned out to be very successful. Uh, very successful. In fact, I would uh, I even did some interviews when I was doing the uh, the Lancer Li- the you know the daily Lancer Life episodes, and I interviewed you know Brandon Guerrero, who's a who's a legend here at Lakeside. Uh, interviewed Brandon Guerrero, interviewed Tyler Owen, uh, you know, interviewed uh, several past members who have gone here, and uh, you know had um, you know Chester Lockhart, who's uh, you know, writing plays in uh, on Broadway and an actor and, you know, I mean, we had a lot of really influential people come through the school and not a lot of people know that. And it would be great if somehow we could get a, you know, a 15, 20 year reunion uh, of our of our first graduating class to come back and kind of tell their stories and and put something like that together. So I'm going to challenge you guys to to figure out how to how to make something like that happen. You know, uh, I think that would be awesome. Like you do a a series of the first graduating class at Lakeside and what they've done and what they've accomplished and what they've been able to do. I mean, like I said, there's there are stories out there where kids have come from extreme poverty, extreme situations. Uh, and have come out um, on the other side of all that and, uh, like I said, have been very successful. So, What was Lakeside, when it fir- or what was Lakeside like when it was first opened? Well, it was interesting because uh, we only opened with the freshman and sophomore class. So we had about, I want to say it was a little over 1,000 students on campus. And they had walled off the uh, the upstairs 600 building. So, if if you can imagine, there you couldn't you couldn't access the upstairs 600 building. And so all the science classes were held upstairs in the 300 building, obviously because all the the science equipment and facility is set up that way. Uh, all the math classes and foreign language classes were held in the downstairs 300, and then the the. The, on the other side in the 600 building was all the uh, language arts teachers and the social science teachers. And there was a pretty healthy competition between those teachers the first couple of years. You know, the, we would say things like, oh, you know, you're, you're one of the 300 people. You know, you're one of those math science nerds. And, uh, you know... <laughs> And, and, you know, and then they would say, oh, you guys are a bunch of hippie losers, you know, over there in the 600 building. You know, you don't, you don't, you're a science denier, you know, stupid things like that, you know. Um, and we literally had the first year we had a tug of war competition uh, between the 300 building and the 600 building teachers. And, of course, you know, the 600 building teachers uh, easily won that tug of war because, you know, you have all these, uh, you know, math and science nerds who you could break their necks 
like a toothpick. And so, you know, that, that, <laughs> that whole idea was, you know, was nonsensical. I mean, it, anybody who was living and operating in reality would know that they would have no, no chance in such a physical competition. So, and then, you know, uh, and then <laughs> it was really funny, too, because uh, we only had, we had a principal and we had an assistant principal for a thousand kids. And, you know, there was, there was <laughs> the, that first class, that first class of uh, freshmen and sophomores, you know, they, they were like, you know, for, for the first week or so, hey, you know, this is a cool place in brand new school. And then they're like, okay, so this is, this is our school. So we're going to show those teachers and those administrators who's the boss. So it became like this competition between, you know, who was going to be in charge of the school. Was it going to be the students or was it going to be, uh, you know, the teachers and the administration? And there were literally moments where the teachers would uh, go outside and have lunch outside just to make sure that the kids weren't doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And then after we kind of asserted our our um, our way, uh, the lakeside way, and uh, then once that kind of, you know, uh, made, uh, established its, uh, its prowess, so to speak, I think once the kids got on board, then, then, then everything kind of settled out from there. But it, like I said, it was interesting because, you know, a lot of the teachers here that year, they were, they were young. They were they were inexperienced, um, you know. Uh, they they didn't necessarily know what they were getting into. Where you know, and I w wasn't exactly you know uh, a foot in the grave kind of teacher. You know, I had only been teaching for eight years, and I was let's see, I was thirty in my early thirties at the time. So I didn't see you know myself as an old school person but I certainly had way more experience than some of the the younger kids did and they didn't know what to do you know uh, they would they would be crying in the in the staff lounges every oh my god I can't believe what just happened and uh, uh, and, and you know seriously like Miss Hendrickson and Mr. Van Bremen myself Mr. Tillery we would kind of like chuckle to ourselves like, oh man. So I'm gonna do my artillery impression. Oh man, like, uh, I can't believe you can't handle this. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was interesting. Uh, there were a lot of lively staff conversations and uh, like I said, eventually uh, the this school got a little bit more of a, a better reputation, uh, especially after Mr. Moskowitz uh, became the principal. That was year three. So, uh, and we, we started to develop this really strong uh, academic tradition here at Lakeside. I would say it's, it's uh, even though people won't necessarily admit this to you, but uh, we have a way stronger academic um, tradition at Lakeside than we ever had at Temescal. 
ever. So, hats off to you kids. What were the first classes you taught here at Lakeside? So I taught. <laughs> it was great. I uh, I taught I taught a an advanced English nine class. Uh, but then I also taught what was called an academy class. So what that ba- basically was, it was uh, kids that were coming into ninth grade, and they failed every class in eighth grade. And on the state tests, they were pretty much a zero on the state test. You know, they just kind of drew a Christmas tree on their Scantron form. And, uh, you know, and so they decided, hey, you know, uh, let's, let's give these kids who are miserable in school an even more miserable experience. Because that's what educators do, you know. We, we think of really good ways to torture children. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, uh, so instead of just taking a regular English class, if you were a part of this academy, you had Mr. Smith for two classes back to back. So imagine sitting in an English class with Mr. Smith for two hours a day. Sounds like a lot of fun. And then, not only that, but then they had to have a math class two hours a day. So half or two-thirds of their day was spent in either English or math. Did I do the math correctly on that, the Mr. Math nerd? Yeah. Okay, good. Cool math nerd. Yeah, yeah cool, math nerd. cool math nerd. So, like I said, two-thirds of their day was spent in either an English class or a math class. Can you imagine your skin crawling for four hours a day? I, I, my hat's off to those kids. I mean, you know, and, and trust me, uh, those kids did really, really well. And there were some interesting moments. You know, uh, like I had a, <laughs> a kid uh, come in with a, with a CD player and his headphones. And he was, you know, you know, sitting at his at his desk and and wasn't doing any of his work. And I asked him to put, you know, his headphones away. And he refused. And I asked him again, and he refused. And then uh, I asked him a third time, and he took off his headphones and he cursed me out, and he walked out the room. And so I just kind of took some time to escort him to the office and he was just giving it to me like the whole way to the office and uh, luckily one of the assistant principals came out and he's like hey hey Ralphie how you doing you know and that 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 was the kid's name Ralphie hey Ralphie how you doing and he goes this blankety blank blank teacher he won't let me listen to my headphones and the, and the principal's like, oh, oh, okay, well, Ralphie, why don't you come into my office? We'll, we'll talk about it. And so that was kind of how it was, but, you know, in those days. So, you know, it was, it was, it was you know, contentious at times. And then uh, another really funny story about the first year uh, teaching, that, like I said, that class. Is I had some really smart kids in there. They didn't, they didn't deserve that. Um, so... I had one kid, uh, he would come in 
probably 15, 20 minutes late every day. He would sit in his chair, put his head down on the desk, and I would go to the back of the room, grab his textbook, put it in front of him. I would go grab a pencil, put a pencil in his hand, like literally had to do this for him every day. And then, uh, and then I would go back up to the front of the classroom, and he would still have his head on his desk. And I'm, and I'm like, hey, you know, you, you need to, you need to open up your book. You need to do the assignment. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to send you up to the office. And his response was, uh, Mr. Smith, I'm not going to comply with your instructions today. So would you please send me to the office? So I sent him to the office. And that story doesn't end there. It gets better. So uh, he went to the office. I sent him to the office. And then he was having a conversation with the, the administrator. He was, he was younger than I was. And he didn't really know what he was doing. It was his first year being a, a principal or assistant principal and trying to handle discipline in this situation. And the kid looked over across the desk from him and said, uh, how can a person get expelled? And the, the, the assistant principal sat back and he said, hmm, well, let me give you a laundry list. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And when he was done giving him the list, he, he made a mistake. He said, you know what? I need to use the restroom. Would you sit here for a minute and um, wait for me to come back? And so the, the young administrator goes to the restroom. The kid, as soon as he leaves, the kid walks out of the office, goes into the, the quad area, uh, and sees a bike that was used by one of the campus supervisors to kind of ride around the school kid took the bike and he left campus and so the 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 school obviously dis, uh, discovered that they were missing a bicycle so they called the cops and sure enough the, the cops picked him up you know down on the street on down Riverside Drive and and brought him back and then I didn't see him after that that was kind of what it was like back in the early days of Lakeside a lot of fun Sounds yeah. like there was never a dull moment. So <laughs> <laughs> now you know where to find him. Just go to Baba Hut. <laughs> hey, that's my homies, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for proving my point. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the interesting thing about scenarios like that or situations like that is, you know, I, I think you guys know this too. In, instinctively, I think, I think children know this. That the... Your childhood and your educational experience is kind of like a game. And you play the game, right? Nobody really tells you the rules of the game. You know, you just play the game because you're told to play the game, right? And then once you figure out how the game is played, then you have two options. Option number one, learn the rules. Or option number two, make up your own rules and kids that kind of make up their own rules they're they're the creative types I will say they're the very creative types and I think 
what happens is is that teachers or administrators don't really understand uh, the creative aspects of learning a game and making up your own rules to the game. And rather than promoting the opportunity for students to maybe see the errors of their own rules and letting them kind of push the boundaries and kind of figure out where their rules are are off kilter, so to speak. Uh, the, the more that we kind of do that to students and kind of press back on their ability to kind of explore what's out there and how to, to manage life and how to get through life uh, with a certain sense of uh, agreeableness with other people. I think the, the more that we push back on that, the more that we restrict that, that opportunity for them, uh, the more that you're going to have those creative types kind of rebel against that. Uh, and trust me, I'm, I'm under no assumption that I'm smarter than, than some of the smartest kids here on campus. Uh, I, I take upon the rule that never assume in a conversation that you know more than the other person. Because if you get into that uh, conversation with that mindset, you're certainly not going to learn. You're certainly not going to learn. So, um, like I said, I, I, I kind of see how kids kind of operate under those restrictions, and uh, I don't think it's really healthy for them. I think there is there are certain rules that they need to abide by, but just because a kid is chewing gum or or you know doing something that you don't like uh, them doing is not necessarily a rebellion against your authority. It's more of a, a, an expression of their uh, desire to uh, do whatever it is that they want to do. But what you have to teach children is. Yes, you can choose to do whatever you want to do, but there's a consequence to your actions. And unless you get somebody to, to learn that there are consequences to your actions, then just doing whatever you're told to do is just being mindless uh, zombie. So, What do you think your favorite experience or most memorable experience or moment has been as a teacher? Uh, I had a moment back in 2011 uh, where I had to deal with a student with a weapon on campus. And that was a very unfortunate situation. It's something that I've had to deal with um, in terms of, you know, um, uh, how I've been able to kind of readjust myself to um, this place at times. So uh, I, I was actually, the day before this happened, it happened on uh, March the 2nd, 2011. So the day before, I was involved in a car accident with my son. And it was a, it was a pretty significant car accident. Um, and uh, it, it was actually with a, a Lakeside student. So a Lakeside student actually ran a red light and T-boned my car on the driver's side. Uh, luckily it was on my side rather than my son's side. Uh, so it was a pretty significant accident and uh, the 
the fire department, you know, came and, you know, opened up my vehicle so I could get out. And uh, the, the, the fire department, um, the engineer uh, came up to me and he said, you know, that was a pretty big whack on your car. I think, I think maybe you ought to think about maybe calling in sick for the next few days just to kind of see where you are. I'm like, nah, I'm fine. So I went home that night and um, told my wife before I went to bed, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm feeling really sore or whatever, I'm uh, I'm gonna take the day off. She said, okay. So I woke up in the morning, nothing, no pain, nothing. I'm like, well, I'm gonna go to work. So I went went to work. I was teaching a, a zero period class. And uh, I got to school, and Mr. Moskowitz was there, and I rolled by his office. It was about 6 in the morning. I rolled by his office and said, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I was involved with a, uh, in a car accident with a student yesterday, and just want to let you know, in, in case, you know, the rumor kind of comes out that, you know, Mr. Smith was, you know, crashed into somebody or somebody died or whatever, you know, uh, and, and I just want to make sure that, you know, those rumors don't kind of get out. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, I got your back. So I went to the classroom, kind of started getting things set up. And then a student uh, came by about 30 minutes into class. We were doing tutorials at the time. So a student came in about 30 minutes in class and said, hey, uh, this teacher uh, needs your help. And I said, well, what's going on? And the, the student said, well, the 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 teacher is being held in the classroom with a knife. I went, well, man. So I just, I didn't think. I just, I just went out the door. I ran down the hallway to get to the teacher's class. And the and the teacher was uh, near the door. So I opened up the door, came behind, and was was, you know, saying what's going on. And and the teacher was like yelling at the kid. And the kid was kind of standing in the middle of the classroom. And you know, the lights were off, the security light was on, uh, and the kid was just pacing around the classroom, in the middle of the classroom. And I said, um, uh, you need to go get help. I said that to the teacher. You need to go get help. So the, the teacher left the classroom, and as soon as the, the teacher started uh, leaving the classroom, the the student walked over to the file cabinets where he had left his backpack and he pulled out a sawed-off shotgun out of his backpack. And and he said, I'm leaving now. And I said, you're not going anywhere. So I blocked the door from the kid. And we had a physical altercation at the door. And then I... I um, I uh, got the kid to go back to the middle of the classroom and he uh, proceeded to pace back and forth uh, with the shotgun trained on me the whole time. And then uh, uh, a campus supervisor came and uh, she uh, came into the classroom and the two of us talked and talked and talked and finally got the kid to uh, put the shotgun down, and then the campus supervisor escorted the kid to the to the office, and uh, <laughs> and then it was just about that time that first period was starting. 
so I hustled back to f- the first period class and and it was it was that academy class um, that I taught for two hours so uh, the, one of the ca- academy kids um, you know was doing his typical daily shenanigans and so I I just kind of yelled at the kid I'm like you sit down in your seat you get your work done today is not the day to mess with me and the kid sat down and then about 10 minutes later Mr. Moskowitz came up uh, to the classroom and he said um, Mr. Smith yeah uh, you need to go to the office and speak with the sheriffs and I said no he said yeah yeah you you need to I'm like no no I'm not leaving I'm not leaving this classroom there's no way I'm leaving this classroom and he said you know what how about I I will be your substitute I will be your substitute you need to go to the office and so I went down to the office and talked to the sheriffs and they interviewed me about you know what happened and I kind of told them the same story that I I just told you and then I asked the sheriff's officer I said you know what um what do you think about what I did did I do the right thing and the sheriff officer looked at me and he said you know what no one got shot today I think you did the right thing and and it just so happened that the 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 rest of the day I I, I went to go tell my wife about the situation she's a third grade teacher at um, Rice Canyon Elementary and so I went to to go tell her what happened she was kinda in shock and then you know obviously the rumor mill started floating around uh, and then I went home. The next day, we had a avid junior field trip. Um, so I got up in the morning, got on the bus, kissed my family goodbye, and spent the next four days on a Northern California avid field trip just to kind of get away from the situation, you know, just kind of let, let things handle themselves. And then... Uh, and then I, uh, a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, you need, to, you need to talk to somebody about this. Like, you know, sooner or later something's, something's going to trigger some kind of emotions with you or, or whatever. I'm like, nah, this, you know, I'm, I'm a bigger guy than that. And then uh, back in 2018, I started uh, having... A series of panic attacks and uh, some signs of PTSD, and so I, I uh, went through some some therapy about that. And uh, you know, the therapist said, you know, it's really interesting that uh, you know people who go through these experiences, you know, people think that you know obviously they they start exhibiting some of the symptoms of PTSD immediately after. But that's not the case. Uh, in, in fact, um, uh, she stated that uh, it's usually an average between uh, eight to ten years that that people actually start going through issues of PTSD. 
So I decided to take some time off and, and kind of deal with that situation, not realizing that, uh, you know, when, whenever you experience something like that at work, uh, and then you, you know, you continue to go back to the same place of work every single day and, and think that you're okay. It just, it's just, it just builds and builds and builds until you get to the point where, you know, when you, when you get to the place where you're afraid to go to your place of work, it's not good, not good. So uh, I would recommend that anytime that anybody has a, a similar situation, that they, not necessarily that they need to really think about um, the uh, later consequences, but just to keep that in mind. And when they start exhibiting some uh, symptoms of PTSD, that they, they actually go through the therapy and go through some of the, the strategies in order to, to deal with some of those situations. So if there's anything that I've learned from that situation, it's that. Uh, I know that I've, I've talked to several other teachers who've had similar experiences, um, and that's been very helpful, uh, not only for me, but for them as well. So there definitely is a lot that has changed and will continue to change with education. Um, but thank you so much for sharing your side of everything and your experience becoming a teacher and your experience as one here at Lakeside. And I know I can probably speak for a lot of students and say that we're glad that you're here. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here today. It was great getting to talk to you. Make sure you guys drop us a follow on Instagram and Spotify at High School Transcript and keep an eye out on our Instagram for updates as to who will be our guest for the following week. And feel free to DM us or take the survey provided to ask questions for our guests that will be coming up. Uh, we hope to see you guys next time.